Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. How are you? Woo! Woo! I want to know how come Garrett got a better response. I'm jealous. He worked the crowd, he works the room? Yeah, okay. Well... I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to work the room. But I do want to know if uh, we're going to be in um, Nehemiah today. We, we, we started a journey last week, and we're going to continue that journey today. Nehemiah chapter 1, if you want to grab your Bibles or turn them on, flip them on, flip them over, whatever you do. Um, go ahead and head there. Um, I want to do a survey, okay? For any of you who would admit to this, um, whether you might have been a former fan or still a current fan. Anybody a, a fan of Johnny Cash? Yeah, good, me too, me too. And um, does anybody remember his song, Bad News? It wasn't one that got played much, but he had a song called Bad News, and this is one of the opening lines of Bad News. Well, bad news travels like wildfire. Good news travels slow. Do you notice that? Man, it doesn't take but a heartbeat to get bad news out everywhere. I mean, but good news travels slow. I've heard someone say before that if it weren't for bad news, we'd have no news at all. And some days it feels like that. It just feels like reality. But friends, one of the reasons that we gather here every week is to remember and remind one another that no matter how bad the bad news gets or how fast bad news travels, for those of us who are followers of the risen Lord Jesus, there is constantly always good news for us. It's the good news that Jesus, who was God in the flesh, the Lord God of all creation, Lord God Almighty, put on flesh, and he came and he dwelt among us, and he walked among us, and he came and he lived this perfect human life that none of us were able to live, and he died a sacrificial death to pay for the sins of all of mankind. And for anyone who would entrust themselves fully to his lordship and his leadership, that sacrificial, sacrificial death that he made would be applied to their lives on account of, the Bible says, we are all sinners and our sin separates us from God. And so we have this account, this account we can't pay off of debt to God. And if we apply through our faith in Jesus, our surrender to him, there'll be this great transaction that takes place. And out of that transactions, you and I move from simply becoming image bearers of God, creations of God. We move from that status to a higher status, which is a child of God. You can know that you have become children of God because of your trust in Jesus. And here's what happens the moment you become a child of God. You now or a joint heir with Christ, which means whatever God had planned to give to Jesus, he's giving you. He's giving you a share in, in that inheritance. And if you're in Christ, friends, 
That is not just good news. That is great news. And it's great news such that no matter what bad news you and I ever receive on this planet, that good news will always overwhelm it if we let ourselves sink deeply into it. Now, God has also promised that before we receive our full inheritance, until we receive that in its, all its fullness, until that moment comes, he's going to be with us even in the bad news that we face in this life, that we continue to face here. But with us, he's going to provide a pathway for breakthrough out of that bad news. And that's what I want us to think about today as we continue this journey of looking through life as it's being lived by this guy by Nehemiah. He was just an ordinary guy. And, you know, we, we said last week that he received some devastatingly bad news. And we talked about that at, at great length last week. But today, what I want us to do is look at what did he do next? What did Nehemiah do next once he received this bad news? And we, we waded into it a little bit, but I want us to dive deeply into it today because from that, from Nehemiah's journey, we can see a biblical pattern that really shows up throughout Scripture, a biblical pattern for how God wants to take our bad news and give us breakthrough. God wants to do that in our lives. So we're going to be in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses focusing on verses uh, 4 through 11 today. And uh, again, Stephen, just jump uh, past that. I, I want us to look at the first point here that I find when I, I study this passage of Scripture, and it's this. Breakdown almost always precedes breakthrough. Breakdown almost always has to come before we're going to get to the breakthrough. We spoke last week about the, the physical walls of Jerusalem that were in disrepair, that had been torn down when God removed his hand of protection and the Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar came and he besieged the city of Jerusalem. He tore down its walls and literally decimated the temple where God had been worshipped. And not only did physical walls come down from that, but also spiritual walls. Now, it took a little bit of time. They ended up in captivity. But then some of the spiritual walls that God's people had built up that were keeping them from having fellowship, communion with God as he wanted, they had built walls that kept them from worshiping him. And the writer of 2 Chronicles tells us what that looks like. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 36. We read this. All the leaders of the priests and the people, so this is like all the leaders in the nation, became more and more unfaithful. They followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations, desecrating the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained. And nothing could be done. Now, friends, those are some pretty unrighteous spiritual walls that had been built up. And God said, before I can do a work in you, they got to come down. God's people had become rebellious. They had become arrogant. 
They had become filled with pride, and they began engaging in the spiritual practices of pagans. They began turning from worshiping the one true God to worshiping all these false gods. And God declared over and over and over again across many generations, he sent messengers, prophets, to forewarn the people that if they did not turn back, if they didn't destroy these spiritual walls they had built up, he would have to do it. And God did. And so when God's people broke their covenant with God, they stepped out from under his protection. And friends, the walls came down. First the physical walls, but after years in captivity, so did the spiritual walls begin to fall. And God's people, once again, began to, began to cry out to God. God, we're, we're in a mess. And this is, this is the point that we kind of pick up Nehemiah. Here in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, reaching back into verse 3, it says, The walls of Jerusalem is broken down, its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse 4, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Again, last week we talked at length about that, so I'm not going to repeat all of what we said. You can can go back to our website or YouTube channel and and find that message and kind of get a background of this. But Here's what, here's what God did. God said, I'm going to break down some old walls before new ones can be built. There had to be breakdown before breakthrough would come. And before God's people could, could be turned, those people who had rejected him, who had turned away from him. And interestingly, Jesus warned his disciples, his followers in the New Testament, of, of life that could, could turn on them. Look, look what it says in John chapter 15. The gospel writer John says this, apart, actually these are the words of Jesus he records. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain, some translations say abide. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Here's what Jesus is saying. When you don't remain, when you don't abide, when you don't continuously seek connection with Jesus, here's what you're going to begin to experience. You're going to be... Uh, begin to experience being cut off in relationship from him you're going to begin to experience like somehow your your spiritual life is broken off you're, you're going to start to experience a, a withering in your spiritual walk and not only is it going to affect your spiritual life it's going to have whole life implications you'll see joy begin to diminish you'll see hope begin to fade and if you continue long enough abiding in anything other than Jesus, you're going to eventually feel personally cut off from him. Your life will start being filled with doubts about Jesus, about God's love for you. Oppression will begin to push you down and you'll begin to feel overwhelmed. Now, if that describes your spiritual life right now, that may be an indication that you've got some old walls that need to be torn down. Maybe there are walls that are overgrown with sinful habits. Maybe there are walls that are entangled with sinful relationships. Maybe these are places in your life that you find hard, if not impossible, to take down. You long for breakthrough to come. You want it. Maybe it's an old wall of sexual habits and practices and the Holy Spirit has come and convicted you of this. Maybe, you're, maybe you feel like you're trapped inside spiritual walls that you've built and there's compulsion of behaviors now and you're trying to hide from God behind these. 
Maybe it's the substance addiction, or maybe your, your old wall is a, a, a critical habit or attitude or a bitter tongue that just kind of wrecks people all around you. Maybe, maybe you're hiding your own personal insecurities behind a wall of complaining or a wall of finding faults in everyone else. How many of you are familiar with the writings of Chuck Swindoll? A great book that he wrote. He wrote many. One of them is Hand Me Another Brick. And in that, in that book, Pastor Chuck Swindoll writes this. He says, what the walls were to Jerusalem, our lives are before God. The walls of our lives often lie in ruins through neglect. The leader who brings us to rebuild the walls is the Holy Spirit. And it is he who continues the work of reconstruction inside us. He tries his best to bring to our attention the condition of our walls, but sometimes we don't hear what he is saying. And then listen to what he writes. Yet, it's not that we are hard of hearing. It's that we simply don't listen. So often that is true of God's people. But here's the truth about God. He loves you too much to let those walls remain. And so one of the things we need to do so we don't find ourselves in the situation that Nehemiah and God's people found themselves in is we need to, we need to do a Holy Spirit gut check from time to time. We, we need to go to the Lord and, and, and just say, what's going on in me? See, if, if your walk with Jesus is not currently bringing you joy, but what you're finding yourself when you have thoughts of Jesus or doubts... If, if, you're, if you're feeling closer to him two months ago than you are today, you know, if you're feeling cut off from him today, if, if, you're, you know, if you're not living in freedom in Christ and resting in him out of those promises that he has given, it may mean that something's going on. And you need to, you need to look at the walls, the spiritual walls of your life. And you need, just need to hear Jesus. You need to hear Jesus say to you, I am not the one bringing those consequences to you. I, I am not the one that is causing you to experience being cut off. I'm not the one who's causing you to, to feel like, you know, you're, you're withering. It's just the natural consequence of not abiding in me. It's what Jesus would say. And he, his plan is for us to maintain our relationship abiding in him in, in, in regular ways. It's what God's word teaches us to do a little bit every day. And it always involves applying what his word says to our real lives. What's going on moment by moment in our lives. Applying God's word to every challenge. And that's one of the tracks that this rebuild strategy that we're going to see coming out of uh, Nehemiah's life is, is, is taking place. And it's just accepting God's word. The second track that I want us to focus on today, however, is the track of prayer. It's the track of prayer. And we're going to see this today in Nehemiah. And, and it's simply this, that for Nehemiah and, and throughout the scriptures, prayer is the bedrock for breakthrough. Prayer is the bedrock for breakthrough. Now, there, there are different kinds of praying that I've watched people do. Um, I heard, heard this week a, a story about a, uh, about a couple that um, they fought. They fought and they fought and they fought. They fought, you know, before they got married. They fought right after they got married. They fought while they were raising their kids. Everywhere they went, they fought. 
They began fighting into their senior years. They finally eventually ended up in a, in a nursing care facility together, and they fought there. And one day, the director of the facility came to them and said, look, you, you're not going to be able to live here anymore if you don't quit your fighting. And so they didn't want to end up, you know, out on the street. And so the husband looked at, I mean, the wife looked at her husband and um, said, I think we should pray. And um, he said, okay, I, 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 I agree. I think we should pray. And she said, and, and here's what I think we should pray. I think we should pray that God would, you know, take one of us home. So we both don't end up on the street. And husband says, okay, I can agree to that. And she says, well, okay, let's pray. And as soon as we're done praying, um, I'm going to, and your funeral's done, I'm going to call my sister and move in with her. You'll get that one later. The, um, that's not the kind of prayer that's the bedrock for breakthrough. Okay? It's just not. This is a, a, the kind of prayer that is sincere that is heartfelt, that is vulnerable and true, it's revealing, and it has a heart for others more than my needs. That's the foundation to to the kind of breakthrough that lasts. Look at verse 4 of Nehemiah 1 again. Nehemiah says, in fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah poured it all out, and breakthrough came. Now, I need to tell you something about this breakthrough. Nehemiah did not get an inkling of that breakthrough for four months. For four months, Nehemiah prayed before he ever saw any kind of breakthrough. Now, next week, Pastor Guy is going to be speaking here on what it, what it looks like to wait upon the Lord because that's so crucial. It's so crucial for, for breakthrough and rebuilding a life in a church or in an individual, really, really anything. And as, as Dennis told you earlier, uh, Guy uh, is at Hillcrest, uh, the pastor at Hillcrest. His name's John Moore. Um, John and I served together at Deer Park Baptist Church back in the early 80s. Um, John's the pastor at Hillcrest now. He's contracted COVID. And so I'm just going to ask you to pray for John, pray for Pray for our brothers and sisters at, at Hillcrest Baptist. Just pray for them. And so uh, what I want to do now is think about what, what did Nehemiah's prayer life look like? How did, how did he, out of this bad news, how did he begin to pray for breakthrough? And there's a pattern here I want you to see. Here's the first thing I see. Breakthrough prayer, first of all, pursues God in praise. Pursues God through, through praising him. Now, I could spend a really long time on this. But two weeks ago, we took the whole message and talked about praise. And so I would just refer you back to that message on August 15th. You can find it once again on our website. But I do want to speak just real briefly about this. Nehemiah had apparently sat under some great teaching on praise because he knew, he knew the vital role that praise played in breakthrough prayer. Because he starts his prayer that way. Look at verse 5. It, and it said, he said to God, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah starts out with praise. He begins proclaiming the place of God in heaven. 
ruling over all of creation. Nehemiah proclaims in praise the power of God. Nehemiah proclaims the perfect integrity of God. He called him the God who keeps his covenant. Our God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And Nehemiah proclaims the ultimate truth about God, that he is steadfast, he's consistent, he's never changing in his love. That's who our God is. Nehemiah is praising that God. He knew that truth, that, that God is love. It's not going to come up on the screen. You might want to write it down. But in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the gospel writer John, the disciple who Jesus loved, wrote these words, God is love. And because we're hard-headed, six verses or eight verses later in verse 16, he repeats it again. God is love. See, Nehemiah believed that. Nehemiah proclaimed that he praised God for it. As he was seeking God for a breakthrough, he praised God for his great love. Do you know God that way? Is that your primary experience with God these days? Or do you find yourself, when you think about God, more often doubting that he loves you? Is that, is that your experience with God? Mostly around his love that it's doubt. See, God is love. God will never love you more than he does right now. And God will never love you less than he does right now because his love is not predicated on your behavior, on your actions. It's who he is. He loves you unconditionally and breakthrough prayer pursues God through praising him for who he is and what he's done. Second thing that I see here in, in Nehemiah's prayer is this. Breakthrough prayer relinquishes to God in repentance. It relinquishes to God everything in me in repentance. Now, friends, I, I, don't, I grew up in a contractor's house. So I know a little bit about building. I know enough to be very dangerous with power tools, okay? And one of the things that I learned about building is the higher you want to build a structure, the deeper you got to drill. The deeper you got to dig your foundation. You got you to dig deep if you want to build high, if you want to build, build big. And the same is true on any kind of rebuild. You got to dig deep in order to prepare to receive a foundation, that's what repentance is. And I want you to listen to how Nehemiah deals with this idea of confession and repentance. Look at verse 6. I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, for his whole nation, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. See, Nehemiah drills down deep. He, he drills down very deep. He drills down into the sins in his own personal life. He drills down into the sins in his father's life because he knew that the sins of the fathers, that they have an impact on the sons, even to the third and fourth generation. Nehemiah knew that. He knew he had been impacted by his father's sin. Then he drills down into the sins of his nation because Nehemiah knew that the sins of his nation had left a mark on him. Maybe he doesn't see God the way he needs to because of the sins of the nation. So he brings all this. He relinquishes all this in repentance to God. Friends, it is all too easy for Christians 
to get swept up in a nationalistic fervor at times. It is all too easy to think we're honoring our country and its leaders. Friends, that's how Hitler came to power. While the church remained completely silent and millions were slaughtered because they got caught up in a national fervor. See, Nehemiah knew that about his own self. He knew that the sins of the nations could impact his thinking, his mindset. And so he drilled down deep and he pulled it all up. He dug it up and laid it before the Lord. And notice how often he did this. The Bible says that he prayed this prayer day and night. And I think he did it for those four months. That he just prayed it over and over again. He kept laying it. He kept bringing it to God, repenting, saying, God, show me. Drill down deep, God. Help me, God. Because he wanted to dig all of that out so that it would be a great place for a strong foundation for God to pour. Now, remember, Nehemiah had already proclaimed about God's steadfast love. So he knew that he could come to God this way and that he wouldn't be rejected. He knew that he could come to God and find mercy. He knew that he could come to God and find great grace. Again, the Apostle John reminds God's people of this in the New Testament about what what we receive when we engage in this this habit of repentance and confession, digging those things deeply out. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins... That he, God, is faithful and he's just and he will forgive and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll, he'll help us dig all that stuff out, that, that muck, pull it out of our lives so he can go back in and pour something good to us, into us. And this is really the tipping point of Nehemiah's prayer for breakthrough. This repentance which would allow God to build a strong foundation in this rebuilding project, not only in Nehemiah's life, but the life of a nation. And so here's what I want to do for a moment. I want, I want us to pause. I just want to hit the pause button. And, and I want to give us a chance to let the Holy Spirit of the living God do a work in us. If we were, if we were all a 12-step group, uh, we would call it doing a searching fearless moral inventory just just let get God's space in Psalm 139 the psalmist writes the pathway for this and I just want to take a moment and lead us to pray through that okay so join me as we pray Holy Spirit of the living God we come now not just giving you permission but asking you to search our hearts. We ask you now to point out that sin in us that creates great anxiousness in our souls. Bring it to our minds. Show us any, any wicked way in us. Show us that, Holy Spirit. We want you to show us. If it offends you in any way, we want you to show us. Right now, can you identify what the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on? Can you relinquish it to God? Just confess it. Just turn from it. Relinquish it to the Lord. And return to him.
Holy Spirit, we know that is your everlasting way. That is the way to life and peace and breakthrough. So whatever it is you just pointed out, we choose in this moment to relinquish to you. Take it from us, God. Dig it out of us. We don't want it anymore. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe as an act of leaving that here today before you leave, maybe you want to go to one of our crosses and just write whatever that is on a little piece of paper and and just pin it to the cross. Just as an act of of worship, of, of relinquishing it, letting it go before you walk out the building. That's a prayer we need to pray over and over again. Now, here's the deal about building projects or rebuilding projects. We all want to get to the final end of things. You know, if we're doing a remodel like on a bathroom, there's that mess that seems like it lasts forever. We want to get past all that. We want to run past all that. When, When people are building a house... You know, they want to get past the digging of the foundation and the footers. We want to get past that quick. Friends, you can't. You can't. You've got to be meticulous in that digging out, that drilling down deep. If you want to see breakthrough, it will take time. Do not rush past repentance. However long it takes you to sit there and relinquish, and that's what Nehemiah did. He started with praise, but he relinquished everything in repentance. Next thing that I see Nehemiah doing in breakthrough prayer is he proclaimed to God all his promises. He proclaimed to God all the promises of God. Nehemiah just begins turning to the promises that God had made to his people, you know, and this is that other track I told you about, about the word of God, this other track that this rebuild runs on, this this breakthrough runs on, is saturating yourselves in God's word. And the reason I know that Nehemiah did that, because he, he just began spitting back out to God what God had promised, what he said he was going to do. Look at Nehemiah uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. He says, remember, this is a prayer. He says, remember the word you commanded, your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, speaking about the people, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them. I will bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Breakthrough prayer is rooted on the word of God. Friends, if you struggle with knowing how to pray, with what to focus on in your prayer time, the starting place that I know of that's best is God's Word. Just starting to learn how to pray the Word of God back, back to God. And that's, that's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's just praying some of what we read from Chronicles a minute ago. Uh, he's praying that back to God. He's praying back promises that, that God had made. You know, And here's what happens. When you do that, your faith gets forged. It gets, it gets hardened. It builds your belief up. R- remember verse 9, Nehemiah reminds God that you said if we would return back to you, that you would draw us into yourself, that you would bring us back to that place where, where your name will be honored, where that place of worship. You, your word said no matter how far we had been scattered, 
that you would bring us back no matter what we've done, how long we did it or who we did it with. God, you will bring us back to that place. You'll bring us back to that place where worship is sweet. You'll bring us back to that, that place where hope is found. You'll be a, bring us back to that place where grace is, is, is incredibly always sufficient. You'll bring us back to that place where we will find strength. You will bring us back where love is unconditional, where weary souls can find rest. You will bring us back to that place. You'll bring us back to a place of new purpose. See, Jesus calls us out of any oppression we're in. He calls us to come to him. You know, Second Chronicles, that again, what I believe Nehemiah was referring to, we read it all the time, Second Chronicles 7, 14. says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God says, I'll hear them. I'll, I'll heal them. I'll restore them. I'll return you to that place where my name is loved. See, in, in this prayer that Nehemiah prays, he presses into those promises of God because they had been impressed, imprinted on his own heart. And friends, God has made so many promises to those of us who are Christ followers, to, to those of us out of the New Testament. In Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, I'll, I'll never do it. It's a promise. And, and so then with confidence, you and I can go through life saying, oh my, God is my helper. God helps me when I'm in trouble. When I get bad news, God is there for me. He's not going to forsake me. And not only is he not just going to leave me, he's going to help me. That's a promise. And we need to, we need to proclaim that to God. When we find ourselves in facing bad news. In Romans chapter 8, it starts this way in verse 28. And we know. How do we know? How do we know anything? The only way we can know is if God promises it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So even the bad news that you got this week, God's going to work that out for good. You can, you can believe that. You can know it because he is promising that. And some of you are saying, well, how can I know that all those promises, and there are many, many more in the New Testament, many, many more promises. How can I know I can rely on the promises of God? Paul writes to the church at Corinth and tells them this is how you can know. Because every promise in this book, every promise that's contained in this book for the people of God are always yes in Christ. They are always yes in Jesus that's how you can know. Because Jesus went to the cross, all of the promises of God are for his people. And so Nehemiah is, is praying the promises of God. And what he's doing is th this is that strong foundation. He began through repentance digging out a place for a strong foundation. The strong foundation that Nehemiah is allowing to be poured into his life is the word of God. Because here's what happens. It solidifies the promises of God in your heart when you pray his word back to him. It hardens your resolve to live a life of faith when you allow the word of God to be the foundation on which everything else is going to be built. Pray his promises, people. Pray his promises back to him. You're saying, where would I start? I love praying Psalm 91. I love praying Psalm 91 for myself. I love praying Psalm 91 for you guys. I would encourage you to sit down and write it out as a prayer. Personalize it. You will find God will do great things in your own heart and mind. It will forge your faith in him to build that foundation on his word. 
Next thing that I see here, we need to move on. Breakthrough prayer does this. It hands over to God all we have. All we are and all we have. It hands it over to God. And friends, I would encourage you strongly, don't hold back here. This is, this is where you get to start to see a rebuild project come out of the ground. This is where you start to see life being transformed and, and, and structure and form happening in the promises of God. This is where you get to see breakthrough happen. But you've got to pray it the way and understand it the way that Nehemiah does. Look at, look at what Nehemiah says in verses 10 and 11. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight to fear you. Your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. What was the repetitive word in those two verses? Servant. Servant, 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 servants. It's a recurring phrase here. And here's what we've got to understand we have to do. We have to come to God and see ourselves as his servants and quit seeing God as our servant. Too, far too long, the church has been, we've switched roles. We think God is here to serve us, but we are here to serve him. Jesus described it this way to his disciples. His followers, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, follow me, he's going to have to deny himself and take up his cross. For anyone who keeps his life for himself, he's going to lose it. But anyone who loses his life for me shall find it again. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a devoted follower of Jesus, a pastor who was martyred for his faith because he would not remain silent under Hitler's regime. He spoke out, and he lost his life. He wrote an incredible book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, in The Cost of Discipleship, he makes a statement that is, just hear hear it for a moment. You've probably heard it before. But he said these words. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him, come and die. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him, come and die. And friends, that is a message that the church, and I would say especially the church in America, needs to hear. Now, I'm probably about to be misunderstood. So I'm just going to ask you to bear with me for a second. I'm, gonna, I'm praying while I'm talking here, but friends, the people of Jesus need to spend more time focusing on our gospel responsibilities than our constitutional rights. We need to spend more time focused on that reality because though we are privileged to live in the United States of America, which has has the blessing of God upon her. Though we get, we're privileged to live here, this is not our home. And the government here is not our greatest king and ruler. It's the Lord God Almighty. It's Jesus himself. It's, we are part of, we have been invited into the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, 
The Bible tells us he came preaching a gospel. What was his gospel? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent before the, because the kingdom of God is now available to ordinary men and women. Repent because you can now enter into kingdom living. Now. You've got to repent. Because this is not where our primary allegiance lies. And so, yes, we have to live by the laws of the land. But we've got to live under the rule of a greater king. King Jesus. And the writers of the New Testament tell us about what rights we have. The, the, we, we, we have rights in the kingdom of God. You know what our rights are? We have the right to deny ourselves and take up a cross. We have the right to love God and love our neighbors. We have the right to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above everything else. We have the right to have the same attitude that Jesus had that did not count his ability to be God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. We have the right to empty ourselves out for others. We have the right to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God because God says that's what he demands of us. We have the right to look out for the best interest of others ahead of ourselves those are kingdom of God rights now we have to choose where we want to live what do we want to be blessed by the kingdom of God because that's life in the kingdom friends I'm talking about a place of surrender man we used to love to sing I surrender all all to Jesus I you know what it's uh, and what, what it looks like for the most part, the church in America looks like, it looks like what we sing is, I surrender one-eighth. I mean, that's what it looks like the way we're living in this day. I surrender whatever I want to today. God is calling us back to surrendering all. Surrendering my sexuality, surrendering my family, surrendering my career, surrendering my political agenda, surrendering it all to him. And it begins with prayer. It begins with communion with God. It begins with surrendering it all to him. Friends, if you want the excitement of seeing something built, if you want to see breakthrough come, it will not start until that place of surrender comes. Until you just say, it's all yours, Jesus. Lastly, breakthrough prayer does this. It boldly believes God will answer. Nehemiah makes this really bold request of the Lord in verse 11. He says this, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy. He's talking about himself in the sight of this man. The man he's talking about is the king. Because he goes on to say, now, I was the cupbearer. To the king. And what Nehemiah is saying there is this I'll give up my career. Now, think about this. What the king ate, Nehemiah ate. What the king drank, Nehemiah drank. Where the king went on vacation, Nehemiah went on vacation. The dude was living large, man. He had like the cush job, you know, he, he was in the palace. But because he had heard God's call on his life and he wanted breakthrough, 
because he had had bad news that he wanted to see breakthrough from, he said, I'll, I'll surrender it all, God. And I believe that you answer prayer. And so here's what I'm doing, God. I'm laying it all out. I'm laying my career out, and I'm looking for a divine opportunity. I'm looking, God, for you to, to, to just give me a moment in the sight of this man to grant me a moment, God, and I'm going to step into it. I'm going to look for you to move. I believe you, God. I trust in your word. Friends, none of us, none of us will ever get to see God rebuild anything beautiful in our lives until we get to that place. Until we get to that place that we believe that God is going to answer. That we believe that he hears our prayers. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us this. No one can please God without faith. Whoever goes to God must believe that he exists and that he wants to reward those who seek him. you got to believe that. You'll never see rebuild come. You'll never see breakthrough come. Psalm 91 that I talked about earlier, verse 14 says this, because he has known my name, this is God speaking, because he has known my name, he'll call upon me. Do you know the name of the living God? Do you know him that way? Call upon him. And this is what God says, I'll answer him. That person who knows me by name, I will answer him. I, I, I will answer him and be with him. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, we read this. And this is the boldness we have in God's presence, that if we ask God for anything that agrees with what he wants, he hears us. And if he hears us, every time we ask him, we know that we have what we ask from him. He is more interested in rebuilding. He is more interested in giving you breakthrough than you are at receiving it. He wants to do that. So here's the question that we gotta, we got to wrestle through. Will I pray breakthrough prayer by pursuing God in praise? Will I do that? Will, will I engage in breakthrough prayer by relinquishing to God through repentance? Will I look through for breakthrough prayer by, by proclaiming to God all his promises means I've got to know some of them? Will I seek God in breakthrough prayer by handing over everything I am and everything that I have? And will I boldly, boldly, boldly by faith believe that God answers? Because that's the biblical pathway for, for breakthrough. And it's how God can turn our bad news into beautiful kingdom breakthrough. Pray with me if you would. Lord, we come in this moment. We come wanting to surrender. We want to surrender to you, God. God, we want, we want your way, so we want you to have your way. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. On earth as it is in heaven, God, would you bring some of what's up there down here for us, in us. We long for you to rebuild, God. But we know we've got to be willing to tear things down to walk away from those things that are not of you and for you. We've got to be willing to surrender everything for your good pleasure, for your glory, and for the good of your people. So God, we come in this moment. 
And we come to worship you in song. Nick, as soon as he's finished. And we come pleading with you, God. Lord, would you, would you, would you please have your way in us, your people. It's in your name we pray.